Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydao.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. All successful ventures require a diverse team covering a broad set of required skills. Someone needs to step up with a vision and say, hey, let's do this. Another person is needed to handle finance, someone else to manage the community and recruitment. But where would any tech-related venture be, specifically a DAO, without someone leading the code development? And with us here today is the original lead developer for the CityDAO project, Greg. Now, ever since that fateful tweet last summer, Greg's been tirelessly working to help make the technical aspects of this venture become a reality. So how are you doing, Greg? And thanks for coming on the show here. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So kicking off 2022 on a fast-paced note, it's really cool that you're maintaining anonymity throughout all this, first of all. You know, imagine the lead dev of a publicly traded company being completely anonymous. Like it just wouldn't happen. Those are awesome that way. Yeah. I'm definitely grateful for that to be a possibility. But you're right. That would not happen within a company. And honestly, even now we're not at the point where it's super feasible. I'm not sure how long I'll be able to maintain it just because people kind of want to know who's behind a project without those verifiable credentials or people vouching for you on a more personal note, but grateful to be able to maintain that separation between personal life and the DAO thus far. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like anonymity is kind of an expression of freedom and individual rights. Like if we don't want to put our name or face out there, then we don't have to. And there's enough trolls out there to give a lot of reasons on why maybe we don't want to put our full identity out. So just out of simple curiosity, what are your reasons? To be honest, I'm not fully committed to maintaining it indefinitely. I guess the big selling point for me at the moment is once that cat is out of the bag, you can't really put it back in without starting over. Before I merge my personal world and my Web3 professional world together pretty much permanently. I want to be sure that is the right route to take. A lot of people do it both ways. I see pros and cons on both sides. So I really don't fall into the camp of staying anonymous or, oh, that you're hiding behind an avatar that's no good. So I really don't fall into either camp. I see advantages to both. So right now, the reasoning is just it's easier to figure it out down the road if I start anonymous. Yeah, fair enough. And it gives you the freedom to go in any direction whenever you feel personally ready. I don't think there's any need to feel pressure about going faster than you're comfortable with. I think it's, yeah, it's very respectful. So yeah, I was just curious. Thanks for that. I introduced you a moment ago as the lead developer for CityDub because it's basically true. However, it's not technically going to be true for long because as with any DAO, responsibilities are handed off to the community and meaning that in the very near future, you're no longer going to be what would be typically called or referred to as the lead developer. So what does that handoff process look like? Like what's happening right now in CityDAO? To start, it's a lot of figuring out our processes around onboarding, getting people into the system that is the DAO and our working practices and how we can kind of blur those lines between 
the DAO into the outside world so people can contribute on all different levels. Whereas with a company, you kind of have, okay, you're an employee of that company or you're not. With the DAO, it's a lot more ambiguous. So figuring out how we're going to maintain proper working practices while maintaining that ambiguity is tough. And I think about that a good amount because once we can kind of have that set in place in an autonomous manner, which is another big piece of it and an incredibly difficult piece of it. How do you have a dev team running without a lead per se? I mean, you'll have facilitators, of course, and things like that, but how do you make this this run without anyone pushing it? So I'd say those two things, getting people into the system on whatever level they'd like to participate in, and then how do you keep that system running on its own? And open source style projects have been around for a very long time, or community run projects have been around for a while. Would you say that DAOs have a bit of a difference? Is there something different about running a DAO and the code structure inside of it versus, say, any sort of other open source project? I'd say there are some differences, but definitely similarities. Open source normally has one person kind of pushing it along, and a lot of DAOs do as well right now. But I think the ideal state, like I said, is much more autonomous. I think the motivations behind contributing to a DAO versus open source are similar, but also different in a lot of ways. Open source, most developers I know, myself included, will only contribute to an open source project if we're using that project and we need some addition to get done whatever we're trying to get done. So it's kind of like a side quest for us. Like, oh, I need to add this feature to the library I've been using. I'll just submit a pull request so other people can use it too. A DAO, it feels more like the main thread. I'm contributing to this DAO for the sake of the DAO. Open source, you obviously have those really generous people who will contribute just out of the goodness of their hearts, but I wouldn't say that's the majority. DAOs, definitely not contributing out of the goodness of their hearts, but they want to see something come into existence or they're tied through token ownership or some other incentive that building the DAO's projects is their primary objective. And how many people are we talking about right now in CityDAO that are contributing? How many people have contributed to the code so far, roughly? I want to say, like I said earlier, it's, it's a bit ambiguous because there are people like who contribute in very light ways. They just add some feedback here and there. There are people who are actually writing code. So it's kind of a spectrum, but I'd say there are between half a dozen and a dozen different people who have been at least engaged with the code base to some extent. Right. And obviously there's hype all over the place with DAOs and everyone's popping up a DAO for everything. Probably fair to say that a vast majority of DAOs out there are looking for the ideal structure that's best for them and best overall. I'm curious to know how you would explain in your own words, the structure that's being put together right now to run the code development for a city DAO. Undecided, I'd say. So it's a tough question to answer. In progress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Tough question to answer because we're kind of, we're somewhat doing a bit of trial and error, a bit of talking with other DAOs and seeing how they're doing it, but you've got to find what works for you. And that's tough to plan ahead. We really just need to start from first principles with our working practices, what works anywhere in a company and open source and other DAOs start there and kind of build on top of those with our own needs. So how it will look exactly is pretty vague at the moment, but I can say we're getting there. We're trying different things out. And that's honestly the exciting part about it. DAOs are so new. 
so many different things we can do with them. You can't help but go back and forth on different approaches and bounce around a little bit on how we're working and all that. But that's a feature, not a bug. That's part of any new thing. So yeah, it's exciting. It is. And I've said it before on other shows that to me anyways, as a citizen, in other words, as a city DAO NFT holder, I feel more like a scientist than anything. This is a style of governance on a physical asset that is very much in its trial days, early days. And we don't exactly know how it goes or what to do or not to do other than use a lot of common sense and trial and error. So on that subject, the open definition of a DAO is obviously completely decentralized and completely community run. And then on the other side might be a corporate structure. And, and this, so there's like this spectrum of top-down authoritarian sort of approach versus the complete opposite spectrum would be all the way ground up on every single decision possible. And I've heard funny stories about certain DAOs that took months to decide on whether or not to buy an Adobe subscription or not, because there was so much mixed opinion. And that might be the extreme end of the spectrum of almost chaos in terms of democratization. To start a DAO with a formalized structure day one on how code management would work, for example, or any other aspect would work in a DAO almost runs the risk of being authoritarian. You know, oh, this isn't really community run at all. It's a group of people that said, look, this is how it's going to be. And that's almost against the concept of a DAO. But of course, on the flip side, if we get stuck in a spot where there is no structure at all, then how do we actually get anything done? I'm curious if you have some comments on this spectrum and this subject here. Yeah, I think it's a lot of it has to do with how you look at decentralization and what is decentralization. And does that mean Everyone gets to say on the rules. Does that mean everyone gets an equal chance to participate in how those rules play out, like the system that those rules create? What does that mean? If I develop a smart contract and then I deploy it and everyone uses it, but that smart contract's not changing, it's immutable, is that decentralized? Because they didn't have a say in how I wrote that. So I think it depends on how you look at decentralization. I tend to look at it a lot more from the perspective of going forward, how will changes be decided or things like that. So if I deploy that smart contract, it's up there. Yes, I created the original rules and it may have been centralized at one point at its point of creation. But now that it is out of my hands, we're assuming that I didn't kind of program anything into it to be able to control it going forward. But if it's out of my hands, then I'd say that's decentralized. I can't decide to take it down at any one point or take advantage of the rules I put in play and everyone else can use it, but not modify it in any way that gives them an advantage over the others in terms of their, their power, their control. It's a movement towards more distributed control. And that isn't necessarily evenly distributed, but it is not contingent on a single point of failure. So to bring that back to DAOs, I'd say it's going to start very centralized. And we talk about this a lot within the core team. At the very beginning, it was not completely centralized, but it was a lot more centralized than it is now. And we've slowly gotten more and more decentralized. Laying that initial foundation is a lot easier when you're in a smaller group. You can move quickly, act quickly. And one of the struggles CityDAO has actually had is we grew so quickly that there was an expectation of decentralization far before we were really ready for it. We were still a pretty small DAO that needed to figure some fundamental things out, but then we exploded and we had all these people who were like, this shouldn't be controlled by one single group or one single person. It's like, well, wait, we need to figure some stuff out. 
before we can open it to the masses. So kind of a long-winded answer, but it moves along a spectrum from an initial centralized setup where the foundation can be laid to more decentralized. And at any point in time, how decentralized it is, is based on how distributed that control is. As you're explaining all that, I'm getting a visual reference in my mind, and I'm thinking about what it must have perhaps been like in the early days of developing Bitcoin and Satoshi Nakamoto and and the other people that were collaborating and building the code. And they were building this code. And essentially, you could say it's a centralized process at that point. But once it was live and the first blocks were mined, it then transferred to be decentralized. And I think it's fair to say, and everyone would agree that it's a fully decentralized, completely decentralized project. But it maybe didn't start that way if you look at it philosophically on day one when there's one person or one group of people writing specific code based on their decision making without involving everyone and then handing it off. Do you think that that's a fair comparison visually or is that a little bit different? Yeah, definitely. And I've seen complaints about Bitcoin and other different supposedly decentralized technologies I say supposedly because these are complaints about them being decentralized, which is that exact argument. Like, oh, the creators of this were just a couple of people. They weren't decentralized. Well, for one, they can't theoretically imagine everyone who will ever use this and go ask them. That's kind of ridiculous. But for two, everyone who ends up using the system at some point in the future buys into the system. They have to, they're not forced to use it. They have to kind of accept it. They look at the rules, however in-depth they do. So like someone might look at Bitcoin, research Bitcoin, and eventually they'll buy into that system. And by buying into the system, they're agreeing to the rules that were originally set. So in a way, that's decentralized because they are casting their vote for this system. They're putting their money into it. They're putting their time into it and saying, okay, I agree to these rules. Let's play this game. And when we look at what a DAO is supposed to be versus... Obviously, some DAOs are not going into a decentralized route. You know, I was talking with someone the other day. It was a bit, for lack of a better word, it was a bit frustrating to me. But they're saying, look, we're going to start this DAO and we're going to run it for the first four to six years. Da, da, da. And I'm thinking, you can't have a DAO centralized for four to six years. This is called an anti-DAO. This isn't how it works. But they're still able to pass off with using DAO, even though it's not. They're just using a buzzword in order to do their project. I'm not naming them here on purpose because I don't want them to get feedback. But the point is, right now in this early days of DAO formations and the buzz going on around everywhere, everyone's getting away with using DAO whether or not they are. What sort of prediction do you think you have, let's say over the next one, two, three years, those DAOs that are not DAOs, are they going to have to rename themselves? Or do you think they're going to get negative backlash? Or do you think that you know they'll just be fine? I think we're very early in a lot of this stuff, not just DAOs, but there will be cycles where the popular Web3 terms like DAOs will no longer be as popular. And I think some of those so-called DAOs will either they'll just get rid of the name or they'll fail and disappear. And I think there will also be an evolution of the name itself. And even what many would call DAOs today, maybe in five years, that will mean something completely different based off of different cycles of interest in the term and how it's used. And they won't be considered DAOs anymore. I think, especially in a time like now, it's really important to look beyond the terminology. And although people talk a lot about DAOs, it's such a new term. It's such a new structure. It really means very little because it's so broad and it's vague and a lot of different people use it in different ways. So it's fun to talk about DAOs. It's great to talk about DAOs. And we can talk about DAOs because we have a general idea of the ethos that surrounds them. 
But when you're talking about a specific DAO, thinking, is this a DAO? What does it need to be a DAO? That starts to get a lot more ambiguous and difficult to define. To me, a DAO is very much just a community of people saying, hey, let's do something. And it's somehow recently garnered this name of a DAO. And that's probably just because of the connection with NFTs and blockchain. And there's got to be some sort of a name for it, but really just a community of people getting together and doing something. And this concept has existed in nonprofits forever. Even in corporations, there's a group of passionate people that just want to get stuff done. And this concept of what a DAO could be or what a community-run initiative could be in an autonomous fashion seems to have garnered this, which is similar to like almost Wall Street bets, you could say, in how a group of people decided to take a certain action and they coordinated it through a certain media of communication and they executed on that action. And in a way, you could say that any DAO or any community-run initiative is kind of all sharing that same fundamental. But there are some differences to a corporation. And I remember you saying at one point, oh, there's lots of differences, I should say. One thing I remember you saying a while ago was that you liked a DAO's bias towards action, favoring basically just getting stuff done versus a corporation. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on how you mean that. I think companies can have a bias towards action too, but I've seen it a lot, both in the Web3 space and DAOs when they're, they're very early on. And I think it's something that DAOs should try to nurture and maintain. So if you think about the life cycle of a startup, it starts out very early and there's a strong bias towards action. It's just the founder, they have 100% ownership, their idea, they're really into it. And as you grow, you have to bring in more and more people who may be a little bit less interested, a little bit less interested, a little bit less motivated and share that vision a little bit less. And it has to be incentivized by kind of money, prestige and all different types of things. And then you get to these big bloated corporations where people are incentivized by salary that's going to come in regardless and just a lot of different mechanics that are working against the bias towards action. DAOs, like we talked about earlier, how they're a lot more ambiguous in terms of the boundaries of them. It's not employee or not employee. It's, oh, I help out with this DAO a couple hours a week. This is my full-time job, this DAO. I just, just work for this DAO. That keeps it very flexible. And it means you can be as motivated as you need to be. You can move in and out in terms of your contribution amount. And hopefully, and the big thing that DAOs need to nurture is you have the ability to move as freely as you need in and out of that kind of DAO cloud of different contributors, how invested you are. And if I'm on the outskirts, I've been lurking for a while and I suddenly get really interested in this because sometimes it doesn't hit right away. And I want to create some tool that I just thought up last night. And I think it'll be really helpful for this DAO I've been lurking in. I should have the ability to get that done as fast as possible. Just like that startup founder on day one can just open their laptop and start coding a project. I should be able to get up to speed on anything I'm not up to speed yet, get the resources I need and to go all the way to significant contribution to the DAO as quickly as possible. And when you leave that opportunity open for a bias to action type person, I think that's when you attract them. And I think that can be a big game changer. I think the same thing you'll see in companies, companies that have less red tape will attract better talent and will do better. I think DAOs by using these autonomous tokenomics and different mechanics to incentivize people, they can reduce the red tape, reduce the delay on contributing and make it a lot more flexible for people. 
which will attract those bias to action types who just want to build, who just want to contribute. So in a way, we're talking about removing red tape. Is that another way of saying it? Yeah. Someone wants to get stuff done. You just come in here and you get stuff done. You know, DAO is about community members stepping up and getting stuff done. So if you want to take on a certain project, you can propose it. You can take lead on it. You can recruit other people in the community to just make it happen. And a corporate structure in some ways, I think if I'm interpreting correctly, basically you just got to go through the centralization process, which can be laggy and slow. And in many ways, a DAO is like a startup. We get to everyone behave like a founder. And in many ways, every citizen, all 10,051 citizen NFT holders are kind of like founders in a way. We're all contributing and want to have a good end result. Are you doing this full-time? I am putting in full-time hours or close to it, but it is not my official. I have a day job. I'll put it that way. You got the double full-time going. Yeah, pretty much. Yeehaw. And do you think that your time is going to stay about the same with the city tower? You think you're going to sort of decrease hours a bit as a little bit of the handoff happens? I'm really not sure, to be honest. Preferably, I would like it to be flexible across. I contribute with a couple other DAOs. That's one of the things that attracts me to DAOs, the flexibility. I know I've talked about it a decent amount already, but just one week, if I'm feeling really, really into it, I've got a lot of free time. I want to be able to go all in for that week and get as much done as I can and then kind of take a step back the next week if I need to. That flexibility is not something you find in the typical corporate world, obviously, because you have your 40 hours, you got to fill them up. In a DAO, if you have less work to do, or you just want to do less work, you can pull back or you can push forward. Now, one of the really big things happening in CityDAO right now is the formation of the council. And by the time this episode airs, that'll be launching. It'll be right in the middle of that happening. And what is the impact or the intended impact of council over code development. Just to give context to everyone listening in case they weren't aware of it already, but part of this process of going from centralization to decentralization is to experiment. And one of the experiments in CityDAO right now is to form this council that essentially would represent certain people that represent a collective whole of the community at large. And so there's a election process happening and a lot of this really is trial and error. If you're a citizen holder, you can obviously be a part of that and just check out the Discord to learn more. And you know, we'll really see how it goes. But the idea is to move towards that decentralization. So that's the context, of course, for people that aren't familiar with what I mean when I say council. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Greg. The impact of the council on the code development, you might think. I think it will provide a lot of clarity that we don't have at the moment to both development and to the DAO at large. I think the, talked about earlier, the growth we experienced and how that somewhat threw us for a loop in terms of laying those foundational pieces and defining a clear direction for the DAO. Typically, as a DAO grows, you're onboarding people at a steady rate, but not an uncontrollable rate. And people are kind of buying in to the vision as it grows. That vision slowly changes in subtle ways that still conform to the original ideas behind it. We blew up. So the council is kind of a chance to take a step back and say, okay, we've got a lot more people here. Let's go through that evolutionary process that a DAO with more steady growth would have gone through naturally. And let's really think about what do the current citizens want to see out of CityDAO? And kind of tying that to development, that is huge for us to just know what is it we're building towards, whether that's technical or something more abstract. Where are we going? And if we want to propose a project, for example, 
what end goal, what key objectives should we be comparing that project's goals to? I think that'll be incredibly helpful, not just to the dev team, but any working team within the DAO. One of the subjects that's always fun to explore is how did you find out about the project and get involved? I think you were introduced to CityDAO through Chance. Is that right? Yes. And Chance, for people that haven't had a chance to, uh, that's funny, <laughs> for people who haven't had a chance to meet Chance, you can find him on the Discord, or we also launched another episode to talk about his involvement. He, he, of course, is the community manager, or was the community manager anyways at the time of the recording of that episode in managing, you know, all things community related, you could say, on the Discord and to help contribute overall as an initial founder. How did you meet Chance? What's the story of your first involvement getting into CityDAO? So I met Chance. I want to say maybe five months before I started the out, maybe a little less. It was through a 1729 Discord server. 1729 is Balaji Srinivasan's network state that he's starting, which is really interesting idea. But to kind of gloss over that, Chance had started this Discord server around this site and corresponding tasks that Balaji had put up. And Chance was just going into the comment section of every task slash article, putting up this Discord server, like, oh, come join this if you're interested in these topics. And myself and a number of other now CityDAO citizens slash contributors found their way into that server. And then it was pretty active. And a couple months later, I don't remember exactly who, I think it may have been Odie Slam, shared the CityDAO tweet in that server. Chance found his way over there, and then Chance kind of pulled everyone over there over into CityDAO. As a good community manager does, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of wild, the overlap those two communities ended up having. If you look through both servers, you'll spot. The 1729 one is a lot smaller, so pretty much everyone in there, you'll spot them in CityDAO. So I had been helping Chance out with some things in that server, so we were already kind of collaborating on some different projects. So it kind of just naturally flowed into doing the same with CityDAO. One of the subjects we discussed about discussing here is about the importance of NFTs. So it's a bit of a shift here talking about why are NFTs important? And I'll leave the floor to you here a little bit because I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, I think I get a sense that NFTs are somewhat misunderstood in terms of well, not necessarily misunderstood, but the term NFT is used very widely. You go on Twitter or even major news sites today, you'll see NFTs all over the place, celebrities launching their own NFTs now. And that comes across as a little silly, I guess, to me. It's funny when you think about it. These NFTs are really just the data primitive. So imagine the entire internet world becoming obsessed with arrays. It's not a direct, there's a reason NFTs are special, but it's kind of funny to think that the world is obsessed with just a data primitive, a blockchain native data primitive. So why NFTs are special and why they enable this kind of obsession is that they bring the physical world to the digital. So I'm sure everyone knows the why blockchain is special, how it solves double spend and all kinds of other issues with creating digital money. So NFTs extend that to create non-fungible, basically perfectly unique objects. And everyone knows this, but if you think about the technical side of things, whereas in Web2, if you want to represent your house, you can't do it in a physically native way. Because in a physically native way, that house is unique. 
that house cannot be, it can be replicated, but it cannot be copied. That is a incredibly foreign idea to Web2 and typical, the digital world typically, because in the digital world, everything is infinite supply. You can perfectly replicate everything. So NFTs don't do it perfectly. They do it within the context of a blockchain, of course. It's not as perfect as the physical world, but it gets pretty close where if we all take the assumption that we will respect the Ethereum blockchain and this standard on the Ethereum blockchain, for example, we'll respect board apes as board apes. They're not, of course, not a physical object, but if we take those two assumptions and we all agree on them, then we can represent these physical objects with ERC-721s or other NFT standards like 1155s, which is slightly different, but for all intents and purposes, that's kind of a mind-blowing idea when you think about it, because not that NFTs are mind-blowing. They're a little less mind-blowing, at least personally, when you think about it that way, that they're just making the physical world represented in a digital context. It's just mind-blowing that we haven't been able to do this yet with Web2. Like Web2, you think of it as this all-powerful world of technology where we can do anything. We have superpowers with this perfect replication, but the one thing we can't do is not have superpowers, is not perfectly replicate things or infinitely replicate things rather. So I'm really excited about using NFTs to represent physical objects. That's the world. I think that's the end goal. That's the world we want to truly work within. You hear a lot of talk about the metaverse, which is cool, but the physical world is where we live. The physical world is where we operate. And if we can more closely tie that to the digital world, that opens up a lot of possibilities in terms of interoperability and how creative I can get with my physical ownership. And how about the difference between NFTs and tokens? Like there's a lot of ways to run a DAO and run the voting. And of course, CityDAO has chosen NFTs. Why NFTs versus some other methods? So currently, CityDAO's approach is using NFTs, but it is very similar to tokens because we're doing the one NFT is one vote. But that is subject to change, and it can change because we're using NFTs. So tokens are fungible. You have to, but they're the same. For all intents and purposes, you can't have uniqueness between them. NFTs, non-fungible, they can have completely unique properties that you can always distinguish one from another. So we are actually using 1155s, which is kind of a, a combination of ERC-20s, tokens, and ERC-721s, NFTs. So 1155s allow for uniqueness to an extent, but they also allow for bulk transfers and bulk minting and things like that, that give us the flexibility of tokens, but also the uniqueness of NFTs. So there's a lot of experiments we want to run with governance down the road and using NFT-based governance opens that up. Whereas most DAOs are using tokens that constricts them. I'm sure they can come up with some creative approaches, but constricts them to the more traditional approach versus NFTs. Now, some of the people listening to the show today are very technically inclined, and I might be not focusing enough on the higher end technical aspects. And other people may be a little more like me and are not developers and are more interested from the business angle or, or you know whatever other angle that is of interest to them. So I'm wondering to lay this out so everyone's on the same page. Could you describe the code structure and the process that you've designed initially anyways for CityDAO to function and its governance system? So 
the governance system currently was actually not me. That was Odie Slam who wrote the citizen NFT contract. And then we vote through snapshot. But the citizen NFT contract is very simple, just ERC-1155. It's got three different token IDs for the different status levels of citizens. We have the first citizen, we have founding citizens, and we have the standard citizens. Just like any other NFT, those can be transferred between wallets. We can mint more ones that is restricted to, it's not programmatically restricted, preferably it would be, but we're still in a more centralized space, but restricted to the owner can mint more if the DAO votes to do so. What else? I'm, I'm not giving a ton of detail just because it's, I guess, in my mind, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Do you have any specific questions around the contract that I can maybe answer? No, nothing specific. I'm more just imagining myself as someone listening to this right now and have just sheer curiosity, you know, just found out about the project. What would be something about the structure that you've implemented that either was really surprising to you and anticipated or something that's unique that you're seeing here compared to maybe other projects you worked on? I think one interesting thing is how we're using the citizen NFTs in more creative ways besides just governance, for example, compensation. That was a big part of the reasoning behind using 1155s rather than 721s. These 1155s can do that more batch operations, so like batch transfers to pay out contributors. One thing that I've been recently working on is a contract for vesting those citizen NFTs. So for the most dedicated contributors who are potentially on full time, we can contribute them at least in part through a vesting schedule as you would have in a startup so they can get some ownership, but it's not all upfront. So I can say to you, if you continue to do this podcast, you'll get 24 citizen NFTs, but it'll be over the course of a year. So then every month you can come and you can claim two citizen NFTs and they'll unlock for you through the contract. We'll just leave them there. They'll be locked up unless you end up stopping. And then we stop that vesting schedule and you can no longer come claim your NFTs, but you can claim them up to that point. That's one somewhat unique thing we're doing to try to, I don't know, just come up with new strategies for compensating contributors for using this tech that we have and we're trying to kind of build the whole DAO around, but how, how can we do it in a way that's a little bit different to play to our strength? You know, this is a really good segue into the concept of the role of hype in a DAO and in crypto overall. And I say that because when I stepped up and bought my Citizen NFT, it was really tempting. It was really difficult to not buy a whole bunch more than just one speculatively for a financial or whatever you want to call it or for bigger influence, whatever the reasons might be. Ultimately, you know, the hype that was sort of accidentally, and I think this happens in every project to a certain degree, there's a certain amount of hype and people get excited and FOMO kicks in and all these things. It took a lot of discipline, to be honest, to roll it back and just get one. And for my part, anyways, roll true to the spirit of the venture in having one vote, one citizen, one NFT, and keep it that way. But man, I tell you, hype was, it made it really difficult not to, you know, let that take over. So I know that we wanted to talk a bit about hypes in a DAO. Maybe you could tell me where you wanted to go with that and what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think it's, it's a bit concerning, to be honest, the amount of hype currently being thrown around. And I think it's really easy to fall into the trap of the mob mentality and FOMO and all these different things that go against reason and push you towards something without really thinking. Like there's this popular term now, I aped in, which 
it's very common. But when you think about that, it's kind of a big red flag if yeah. everyone in the industry is proud of the fact that they aped in. <laughs> it's kind of we're cognizant of this hype that is irrational and is making us miss a lot of key things. Like you have these rug pulls that people are terrified of, but at the same time, they're still aping in. It's like a badge of honor. I succumb to the hype. So I just think it's really important to point it out. And especially when we see something that is not worth the hype it's getting, sometimes it can be hard because of that mom mentality and you're going to get all these not going to make it and oh, you're just, you're a skeptic, you're a hater, but not everything that has hype deserves it, especially in the current cycle and how crazy things are getting. And with everyone popping up and starting up their own DAOs, not only is there a hype to own and be a part of a DAO, but also just to start a DAO for everything and whether or not it should be a DAO to just, hey, let's DAO it. It's like a .com thing. It's crazy. What sort of recommendations might you have for people that are considering launching a DAO of their own? When to or when not to? And what sort of key questions that they should ask themselves on is a DAO right for them? If I were to have a project that I was thinking of making a DAO, I would make sure that there's a, not necessarily a product, but in the DAO sense, kind of a mission. I guess a mission is a DAO's parallel for a company's product. There's a mission and it has momentum. The same way for any kind of project that's out there and doing well, it all starts with one person working on some project that moves towards a mission or maybe a couple of people trying to build momentum and not marketing it first. I think a lot of people, they start with the marketing and there have been some successful projects that started with the marketing. Constitution DAO, for example, is the most popular example of what a DAO is. And that started with, hey guys, let's buy the constitution. But I think DAOs that revolve around an actual work rather than just fundraising are going to be a lot more long lasting because as you decentralize, the message from an individual is going to become weaker and weaker. People need something to point to, to kind of rally around. For BTC, it's the Bitcoin price. People point to it and they're like, look at that, it's growing or even just the decentralized nature of it. So having something that people can point to besides just your voice, Constitution DAO, it's probably even the Constitution funding amount. People would point to it and like, oh my gosh, look how much is going up. So there's momentum there. There's something there besides just you. I think that's a big thing. Kind of just the beginning of a DAO is the same as the beginning of a company. Just work on something. And then you get customers in the company sense and in the DAO sense, you start to get followers or, or members or whatever you want to call it. Let's say that theoretically, and actually this is a great subject, you know, I'm considering me and my team are considering launching a DAO and I won't get into all of that because it's a separate subject. But for me and other people that are considering running a DAO or launching a DAO, what would you say are red flags in our thought processes that you'd suggest would trigger us to not do a DAO? What about our planning process or our thought process would you say would be ill-suited for running a DAO that we should be aware of when we're considering and making these decisions? You know, based on your experience in launching this one and involvement with others too. Yeah. It's tough to preemptively think about a red flag. I'll give you a simple one. And I think a simple one would be if a person is considering to start a DAO and they're not prepared to let go of control, that's probably a red flag. If they're really just trying to do fundraising and raise a bunch of money without really thinking about a community, I'd consider that a bit of a red flag. I'm just wondering if you had any other thoughts on that one. Yeah, I'd say to kind of go off yours, if 
what they're, if the mission they're creating, or try not to say the word product, because that's kind of so tied to Web2, but the protocol or whatever they're creating can't let go of control. If it in some intrinsic way needs oversight and that red flag typically likely doesn't mean shut it down completely. It probably means like a pivot or an adjustment to the plans. But obviously, if there's some intrinsic detail where it can't be automated, or if the founder dies a year into it, can it continue? Might be a good litmus test, but yeah. And moving forward into 2022 and beyond, in the nature of a DAO and and a city DAO going to be more and more decentralized, it's essentially impossible to have a forecast or a prediction on how it'll look because ultimately it'll be the consensus of the 10,051 citizens. If you were to put a spectrum or a lens on what this year might look like for CityDAO, what do you think we should think about or anticipate coming up after the year is finished for CityDAO? Where are we going to be? I think the council will have a big role in how this next year plays out. And I think making that more decentralized will be a big part. And then whatever direction that takes us down, I would like to see a fair amount of progress towards that. It's pretty vague. It's tough to give kind of more concrete things. We've talked about a lot of different directions that this council could take us down, but some of them I can't say, and some I literally can't say because it's so very vague. Yeah, it is a tough one to talk about because who knows where 10,051 citizen holders, token holders are going to take this. We have no idea. But ultimately, you're saying the council is going to play a big role coming up in 2022 and beyond. And the council is going to be making big decisions that'll, in many ways, determine how that roadmap is going to look like and how the year is going to go. Is that pretty much right? Yeah. And I mean, I can't say this. I think by the end of 2022, it is extremely likely that there will be multiple people living in a city that owned properly. I'd say that's that's a fairly... Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm fairly confident on that one. Well, we have Project Zero done and coming up for its NFT distribution, I think, really, really soon. So by the time this episode airs, that'll already have happened. And Parcel 1 coming up and on and on. I'm not even sure. Do you have any thoughts on how many different projects or parcels might end up coming up in 2022? Do you think we're looking at two or three more purchases or any thoughts on that? I think I wouldn't be too focused on the exact number. I think a big thing that we need to figure out is making the process of acquiring a property and doing whatever we deem best for it more automated and exist on its own. It would be really cool if projects around properties were popping up all over the place and the central leadership of the DAO, I know that's a taboo way to put it for a decentralized organization, but the most central contributors, we'll put it that way, are not even aware of these properties like popping up and people doing Basically making, building out the technology to make this permissionless and automated would be really cool. And I don't think we'll get all the way there in 2022, but I think some significant strides towards that would be huge. I totally agree. And just as we wrap up here, I'm wondering if you, I mean, you see a lot of common questions and concerns and confusions popping up inside the Discord and people talking about certain subjects. Wonder if you have any specific recommendations or advice you want to give to anyone listening right now who is an NFT holder, just generally speaking. If you want to see something happen, come up with some amount of momentum, kind of the, the same way we talked about with starting a DAO before trying to market an idea within the DAO, come up with some momentum. If it's technical project, come up with an MVP. If it's 
I don't know, if you want to write a book about CityDAO, come up with a couple chapters, because there are so many ideas that are kind of just thrown out into the Discord and never happen, either because they get lost in the Discord, whoever comes up with the idea, just it gets tired of repeating themselves because it keeps getting ignored. I think the things that have momentum are a lot easier to carry through. And DAOs have a hard time going from zero to one because there's so many people, there are so many voices, but DAOs are really good at taking something from one to wherever it can go. So I think if you have an idea, a way you want to contribute, just work on it, get some momentum, and then bring it up. And I think you have a much better chance of seeing it actually implemented on the DAO level. So walk the talk, basically. If you got an idea, take some steps on it, give it some life, breathe energy into it, and then bring it to the community. It'll both help your credibility. When you present the project, it also shows seriousness. And it's a lot easier to digest and visualize something that has a step one already taken. Anyone that's listening and you're a part of the CityDAO project, just step up and help out. That's what we're all doing. That's what I'm doing. It's what Greg's doing. It's what everyone else is doing. And we are, I mean, I'm personally really excited to be working with all you guys and to be building something here that's never been built before. So let's keep on the good work. It's been a wild rocket of a year going from 2021 to 2022. Everyone listening, hope you guys have a great day. We'll see you on the next episode. And until then, you know, let's keep building this city on the Ethereum blockchain. Thanks, Greg, again, for coming on the show. And we would love to have you back at some point in the future here. Awesome. Thanks, Eric.